This morning, uh, I want to do a one-off talk just to kind of get us um, focused. And, and my, the title of, of the talk is this. If you put the slide up, Philip, the title of the talk is, What Are We Doing? What are we doing? When we gather like this on a Sunday, what are we doing? In this bag, this lovely bag, I have a, a picture. And it's a picture that we all have. Now, you may not have it in an M&S bag, and it may not look like this, but we all carry around a picture like this. It is a picture, not the Queen, they've had to take those down, uh, and put them back up again. It's a picture of the church. Now, this is a church in Lurgan, the Shankill Parish, actually, where I served for five years when I left. Uh, somebody who I had the privilege of leading to faith uh, drew this for me. But it's a picture of the church. And we all carry around a picture of the church. Like I say, not in a plastic bag. But we all carry around a picture of our church, of, of church in our hearts and our minds. We carry around a picture. When somebody says the word church, I was at church on Sunday. What do you think of church? Or you go to church or maybe somebody in work talks about there were church at a wedding, there were church at a funeral. They have a picture in their minds. And it comes from many things. It comes from their past experiences. It comes from their childhood. It comes from their interactions with church through the years. Interactions with church, interactions with Christians, interactions with ministers and pastors and leaders. And sometimes those pictures can be positive. And sometimes those, church, those pictures of church can be incredibly negative. Pictures of hurt, pictures of division, pictures of, of nastiness and narrowness and, and sectarianism and, and legalism. We all have a picture of the church. What's your picture of the church? 30 years ago as a young teenager, if you'd have asked me what my picture of the church was, it was very negative. It was a place that was endured, not enjoyed. I was back in a more traditional church on Friday night there and I was sitting on a hard pew and I thought, who invented these torture devices? Like really, like honestly, like, you know, you go to somewhere and when I was a kid, you went somewhere and there were a bunch of people at the front dressed in white dresses and they sang songs from the 18th century that you didn't understand called Canticles and, and another guy in a white dress got up and he, 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 he talked about things that you didn't understand and you sat at the edge of the pew uh, at the, in the centre where the hot pipes were that scalded your leg every two minutes and your third degree burns and you, you, you're, you went in quietly you didn't say a word. You sat down quietly. The grown-ups all did this, pretending they were praying because that's what you did in those days. Uh, and, and the choir sang, and you listened to this guy. You put a pound in the basket, and you went home again. And that's, that's what my picture of church was. And then I became a Christian in my, just before my 15th birthday. And I began to began to get stirred about church. I began to see new expressions of church, churches that were a little bit like this. And I began to talk to people my age and people in my family, my older brother who, who, who doesn't go to church, and I, I, they would say, well, why would I go somewhere that only old people go? And, and I began to get frustrated and annoyed and, and began to feel like this, there's got to be more than this. This is not what Jesus died for. And I'm not knocking 
that that gave me a foundation and there were so many good and godly people there and I became a Christian through that church in my childhood, so please don't say that. But but it was so irrelevant to me. Like I didn't drive around at seventeen when I passed my test listening to organ music in a car or a robe choir. And it was so completely irrelevant to me. And, and so I, I went from having a very negative picture of church to having a more positive as I began to see and experience different types of churches. And then you, because of this burden in my heart and the call of God, I got ordained. And they say the closer you get to someone or the closer you get to something, the more you see it as it really is. And that's true with church. Those of you who are married will know that. You know, the closer you get, you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and, 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 and the closer I get to church, the more I love church, but the more I hate church sometimes, quite honestly. The more I see the inner bickering and rivalry in some places and the power players and, and all of the stuff that just comes with being human. That's all it is. People sometimes say, oh, the church shouldn't be like that. You know, do you get a bunch of people in any organization and you're going to get mess? And yet, and yet in 25, 29 years of being a Christian, I still love the church because Jesus loves the church. I'm still passionately committed to the church. Even at times, there's so many times, honestly, I want to walk away from it. There's so many times I think I could just be out having breakfast with my family on a Sunday morning. I know that God has given us the church because he knows the church can be beautiful. He knows the church can be so much more than it is right now. And so at the start of this new season... I think it's really important for us just to think about why do we do this? What is this all about? Because if we don't get that right, everything else kind of just falls apart. Is the church just a religious club? Like we all have friends in different clubs. Maybe you're in other clubs. Right now there's swimming clubs happening in places. You know, if you're in a swimming club, you, you, you turn up at the pool every week, you pay your entrance fee, you get on your goggles and your, your gear, you chat, you make small talk, you get ready in the changing rooms, you compare the time of your swimming length maybe. Maybe even once a year you're on a charity event, a, a sponsored swim to help those less fortunate. Maybe you're in a rotary club, maybe you're in a sports club. And you do. What's the difference between the church and any other club. Are we just a religious club that gathers once a week? We sing nice songs. We, we meet new people. We, 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 we listen to a nice talk. We, we, we put a quitter, a few quid in the basket to pay our dues and we go home. Is that the club we're in? Or is it more than that? What has God said about his church? Because only he really gets to define it. And I, I want to look at what the Bible says about the church. And we see something very different from a religious club. And the Bible really describes the church in three main ways. A family, a body, and a bride. A family, a body, and a bride. Firstly, the church is the family of God. Look at what Galatians 6 says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Okay, so we're to be good to everyone. But especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then 1 Thessalonians says, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, 
her part of a family to do so more and more. A sister sledge, the great prophets once said, we are family. Look around, this is your family. Welcome to your family. The Bible says God is our father and we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is a local family and a local place, but we're also part of an extended family, a worldwide family, which extends throughout every nation and every city and every town and every village on the earth. We're part of God's universal church, a family which belongs to him. And that's why Peter writes to a group of Christians who are experiencing persecution in First Peter, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the earth is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. When our brothers and sisters in the Middle East get beheaded for their faith, that should affect us. When our brothers and sisters in Egypt get blown up when they go to church, that should affect us. When our brothers and sisters in China get their churches torn down, that should affect us. When Christians around the world are persecuted and put in jail and lose their families for their faith. That should affect us because we're family. I did a family funeral this week. When, when, when there's pain in one part of the family, it pulls the family together. We all feel it. We all experience it together. That's what families do. Remember the little rhyme? We taught it to Elijah recently and Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and all the people, remember that? Like, we're teaching our son dodgy theology, I realized, because, it, you know, it should really be, that's a building, on top, there's a steeple, but there's no need for it whatsoever. Open the doors, and the church is the people. The church is not somewhere we go. The church is who we are. It's not a building, it's a family, it's a community of people who have found life in Jesus Christ. Of course, in everyday language, we say, I'm going to church. I'll meet you at the church, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's just how we talk, but it's nothing to do with the biblical picture of church. Nowhere in the Bible is the place where Christians meet called a church. Nowhere. The word for church appears around 110 times in our English language Bible. And in, every, in almost every instance, the word for church is the Greek word ecclesia. That's where we get ecclesiastical from, ecclesia. And back in New Testament times when the New Testament was written, ecclesia never referred to a building at all. Ecclesia literally means the called out ones. And it means people who were called to gather together in an assembly. It was a gathering. It was an assembly. The local town council was an ecclesia. A group of people who met for any particular purpose was an ecclesia. That didn't mean anything to do with a building, never mind a church building. In fact, the earliest Christians didn't have church buildings. They met in homes. They met in the squares. They met in the fields. They met wherever they could. They didn't have church buildings. The word ecclesia was a secular word just meaning people who gather together. And so when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, really he's meaning the people who gather in the city of Ephesus. 
So technically, you don't go to church on a Sunday. You are the church. You're part of a community, a family gathered. And those of you who have been around here for a while, you understand that. And one of the blessings of hope is we don't meet in a church building. So it's very hard for us to, to get too attached to a building. The hope has moved from uh, a, a, a Goodyear Fax social club to a, a barn to a, a rugby club and a few other places probably in between to here. We don't make so... We, we understand, but it's very easy for us to start thinking of the church as somewhere we go rather than something that we are. We are the church. You are the church. We are a family gathered. It's based on relationship, primarily to God and to one another. We gather to worship him. We gather to experience his presence. We gather to grow in relationship with one another. And we gather to go out and reach a hurting, broken world. That is the purpose of the church. One sociologist, Rodney Stark, he, he's written this book about the early church and he, he asks, why did this little religious sect, this little sect of Judaism in the first century that was formed by somebody who never traveled more than 50 miles from his home called Jesus, this little religious sect in Judea, of Judaism which had a few hundred followers in 40 AD, by 350 AD had 30 million followers. 53% of the population had converted to the Christian faith. And this is what Rodney Stark says. The early church leaders didn't have the things we now consider essential to our faith. They didn't have official church buildings, vision statements, or core values. They had no social media, radio broadcasts, or celebrity pastors. They didn't even have a completed New Testament. Christ's followers were often deeply misunderstood, persecuted, and some gave their lives for their faith. Yet they loved and they served, and they prayed, and they blessed. And slowly, over hundreds of years, they brought the empire to its knees. And they did this through love. A community with love at the center. Love for God, love for each other, love for our neighbors around us. That's the church. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. We are family. The church is the family of God. Number two, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Romans 12 says this, in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. We're a body. Ephesians 1 says, God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I love this verse. I read this a few years ago and God gave me this revelation of it. It says this, if you put that verse back up again, I want people to see this, Philip. It says, Christ is the head, okay? We are the body. All things are under his feet. Where does that put all things in relation to you and me? under our feet he's the head we're the body all things are under his feet therefore all things are under our feet too all storms all trials 
Everything we face in this life, it is all under his feet and therefore it is all under our feet because we are part of his body and he has all authority in heaven and on earth and he has given us all authority. And so every attack and every circumstance and every trial and every storm is under our feet. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and each one of us is a part of it. You are the body. Some of you are the arm. Some of you are the leg. Some of you are the kidney. Some of you are the ankle. Some of you are the big toe. Some of you are the spleen. Some of you are the rear end. Some of you, we are all part of the body of Christ. I shouldn't have said that last bit. That wasn't in my notes. Stick to your notes, Cooney. Uh, but the arm can't, doesn't take a week or two off and go, oh, nobody needs me anyway. The leg doesn't think, well, sure, nobody will miss me if I'm gone. I'll just clear off for a while. We are all needed. We're interconnected. We're interdependent. We need each other. The eye might think, I don't need the hand until it's itchy. The toe might think, I don't need the hand until you get athlete's foot. We all need each other. You cannot amputate part of the body and it be whole. When we were living in Port Stewart about two and a half, three years ago, one morning we were getting ready uh, and we, Elijah was in the room right next door to us and we heard this almighty scream. And we ran out, Becky ran out and then I, I ran out behind her and, and Elijah somehow had got his finger caught in the hinged part of the door and it was a heavy door that had closed and literally I'll not show, I'll use this finger okay it wasn't this finger it was the one next to it um, but on the video that's not going to look good um, and literally it was hanging off by, by an absolute thread and there was blood splattered all over the walls hope you enjoy your breakfast when you go home. Uh, I mean, it was just a, a mess. And, and, and we, we, we wrapped a tissue around it and I had gorilla tape. Some of you had black gorilla tape. I wrapped that around it to try and hold it together to piece it. It was just mangled. It was horrible. And, uh, and we brought him to the Causeway Hospital, which was about 10 months away from us. And when we brought him in, you know, the nurse, first of all, came along and I think they're used to parents bringing four-year-old kids in, you know, and she thought, more exaggerating parents, you know. He's probably, like, got a wee splinter. Uh, and she took the bandage off. Oh, I need to get the doctor. Uh, and the doctor came in, and, and he went, I need to get the consultant. And the consultant came in, and he said, you guys need to get to the Ulster Hospital, to the plastic surgeon down there. Um, and uh, we, 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 he had a surgery the next day, and they were able to save the little bit of his finger. Do you know why? They were able to save it because it was still attached. Just about. Just about. There was still a little bit of life flowing from the big bit. And we could have said, oh, it's only an, you know, a few, it's only just under a centimeter of his finger. It's no big deal. Yes, it was a big deal. Every little bit mattered. But if it had been disconnected from the rest of the body, there was no life left in it. And why do we think we can disconnect from the church and still have the life of Christ? The life flows through the body and we are part of the body and therefore the life flows to us in relation to how we are connected to the body. And the reason I say that is because in my generation and particularly the generation coming below me, there's this 
mindset that we don't need the church. I can do Christianity on my own. This individualistic, isolated mindset. And it's, it's sometimes because people have, well, they've been offended by the church, but, you know, we are all offended by the church at some point. But, but we live in a generation where people get more offended by more things than ever before. And so, you know, the church did this to me, and therefore, you know, I can watch sermons on YouTube, and I can listen to uh, worship on Spotify, and that's my church. And, and I meet my mate, my Christian friend on a pub on a Tuesday night, and that's church for us. That is not church. That's you meeting your mate in the pub for a beer. Okay, let's stop calling things church that are not church. We need to gather as the body of Christ around his word, around the, the Lord's table, as we worship together, as we edify each other that is biblical community we we come to the bible and and we 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 see everything through individualistic glasses we see how everything applies to to me my needs my preferences my desires my happiness my fulfillment my destiny community's been pushed to one side and it's all about the holy trinity of me myself and i it's all about my personal relationship with jesus me and jesus are fine uh, and we come to the bible and we apply it to me and we forget that most of this book was not written to individuals it was written to communities to the church in Colossae, to the church in Corinth. It was supposed to be read to a community. And when Jesus returns, he's not returning for a bunch of isolated individuals. He's returning for a church. He's returning for his body. He's returning for for the people of God, not somebody who put their hand up in a meeting 20 years ago, asked Jesus into their heart, and has never been part of a church ever since. In fact, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament church, in the early church, the only sign that you were a Christian is that you were a part of a church. Not that you'd ask Jesus into your heart. That language isn't even in the Bible. No, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not in here. The only sign that you were a Christian in the Bible and in the early church was that you were part of a Christian community that you were part of a local church. That's the only sign that you were a Christian. If you weren't in a church, nobody, you just weren't a Christian. One of the early church fathers said this, you cannot have God as your father if you don't have the church as your mother. Our society says this, God's your father and do whatever you want because it'll be fine. You don't need to be part of a church. God's plans and purposes in the world today are not just about you individually. They're not about you fulfilling your destiny. They're about the church of Jesus Christ, a new society, a new group of people, a community of Christ set apart to be distinct, to be different, to represent Jesus Christ to the nations and declare his glory to the ends of the earth. There is no other group of people that God has given his message of the salvation to. It is the church. It's only the church. There's no backup plan. There's no plan B. The church is God's only plan for reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. You are the body. I am the body. We are the body. So we've had the family of God. We've had the body of Christ. And lastly, the church is the bride of Christ. I wonder what you were doing 
at 4 p.m. on September the 26th, 2009. Most of you will have no idea it was a Saturday afternoon. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was standing at the front of Shankill Parish Church in Lurgan with a few guys beside me wearing a suit that was deeply uncomfortable waiting for a girl in a white dress to appear. And at four o'clock on the dot, because she was, she was early, she was keen, but keen, but keen, very early. She had time to walk around Oxford Island for an hour and a half with her dad beforehand. She didn't want to be late. But on that day, I turned around and saw the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. My bride on time, waiting to commit the rest of her life to me. And the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church about marriage. And this is what he says. He says, husband, love, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her through the washing. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Holy and blameless. And Revelation 19 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The last 10, 20 years, it's kind of become cool to criticize the church. There's a whole raft of church of books have come out. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And why I don't like the church. And this is why I don't go to church. And, and here's the thing. When you're criticizing the church, you're criticizing the bride of Christ. You criticize my bride, you've got a problem with me. You criticize the bride of Jesus, you've got a problem with Jesus. Jesus loves the church. He shed his blood for the church. And so I know the church is far from perfect. I know the church has many flaws. I know the church has done many awful things throughout the centuries. But... It's not perfect, but neither's my wife. I mean, she's almost there, but she's not perfect either. But I love her. And like I say, if you have a problem with her, you have a problem with me. And if you have a problem with the church, you have a problem with Jesus. Because it's his bride. Jesus loved his bride. Look at Ephesians. Jesus loved his bride. He gave himself up for her. He laid down his life. Jesus. Jesus. God loves the world. But he especially is focused on his church because the plans and purposes of God on earth come through his church. We aren't perfect. We're far from it from a human standpoint. But look at what it says, what Jesus is doing. He's cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. So as we sit here, as we worship God, as we sit under his word, we're transformed, we're being washed. Even now, the Bible says as you listen to the word of God, you're being washed, you're being purified. All the wrinkles, all the blemishes, all the stains are being washed away. And one day, Jesus is coming back. You see, being a bride isn't a casual thing. You don't go to a bride club. You don't join a bride club. I'm going to be a bride for a week or two unless you're Kim Kardashian. You, it's, a, it's a deep commitment. It's a lifelong covenant. But today most people don't marry. They date. 
That's what we're told. People are getting married later and more people are choosing not to get married because there's so many choices. People are putting it off because they're dating longer with modern technology, with a swipe right or left. People I know go out in four or five dates a week. When I was 20, that was, you know, today they call it serial dating. When I was 20, you call that something else completely. Like, 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 but it's just, we just date. We date. And I, you know, I get dating. Dating's fun. I got married at 34, so I dated a bit. Not as much as some other people, but a bit, okay? I, I enjoy dating. Dating's great, the newness of it all. You know, the, you, you don't know if you're going to get on, you arrive in the date, and you don't know what it's going to be like. And if it's a blind date, you're hoping to look something like the date in the photo. And, uh, you know, back when my date was Bebo and MySpace, and, and that's all you had to go on. You arrive, and you looked around, and nobody who looked remotely like this was there. And then somebody said, you're like, that's not me. I'm not Craig. Like, like, and they're thinking the same, probably. But, but the thing about dating is you don't have to commit. You, you get out at any stage with a text message, you're free from it. Or you don't even have to text. What's the word where you just don't text back? Ghost people. That's what you do. You ghost people. You just never respond to them ever again. Like, like, and if they do something that bothers you, I mean, back in my, like when I was dating, if you wore a perfume, I didn't like you. I never saw you again. I remember one girl wore a perfume, I didn't like. That was enough for me. Because I was a sensitive big snout on me. And I didn't want to see her again. And then you, you didn't text them and you started dating somebody else. And you told them in the first date why you didn't. So they wouldn't wear the same perfume. But you know what I discovered? The more people I dated, it started to get a bit old. It started to get a bit shallow. You began to long for something more because you were given a little bit of yourself to a lot of people, but you were never given much. And you began to, you know, just feel like, I need more than this. I want more. It started to lose this appeal. You were messing people about. You were hurting people. You were being hurt yourself. It was making you feel insecure. You never got close to anyone. You gave up to a point because it was a temporary relationship and you don't give yourself completely to something that you know is temporary. And I started to think, I want more than this. I want someone I can commit to, someone I can be myself with, someone I can fully embrace, someone I can give my life to, somebody who will be with me through the good and bad, someone who will will give me the success Security of knowing this is permanent. This is commitment. I want to give all of me, flawed as I am, to someone who will love me forever. That's what I longed for. I wanted the one, the husband, the wife, the wife in my case, to marry and to commit to forever. And I want to ask you today, as I finish up, what's your commitment to the church? Are you dating the church? Are you willing to commit to the church? I know many serial daters of churches. In the 13 years I've been ordained, I meet people all the time who are serial daters of churches. And they normally arrive and they, come, they want to meet me within a week or two. And they tell me, this is what I've been looking for. I've been in 14 churches in the last seven years, but this is what I've been. They talk about all the things that were wrong with all the other churches, and this is just what I've been looking for. And And they tell me about their gifts, how they're a great singer and could lead worship, and how they can preach. And how they're be so, they're trying to sell me as this asset to the church. And I often, I always say to them, you know, why don't you stay around for a wee while? Get to know people. 
Maybe serving tea and coffee or in the welcome team or something like that. Maybe get involved in a small group and their face drops and within a month or two they're gone. And I see on Facebook or Instagram, they're at my friend's church down the road. And then six months later, they move on somewhere else. And they just serial date the church. I'm not saying you should never leave a church, okay? There's some churches you should leave. People stay in churches for stupid reasons these days because their families have been there for generations. Even though they don't preach the gospel, they're opposed to the Holy Spirit, they're dead, and they're preaching on biblical heresy. If that's the case, whoever's listening to this online, leave your church, okay? Find a God-centered, spirit-filled, Bible-teaching, Christ-exalting church. So I'm not saying you should never leave your church, but don't do it every four weeks. Don't date the church. Commit to a church. Don't treat it like a casual boyfriend or girlfriend. That as soon as they let you down in any way, they're dumped, they're gone, and you move on. I once heard about one fella who loved the worship in one church, but didn't like the teaching. And loved the teaching in the church down the road, but didn't like the worship. So this is what he did. He was able to time this right. He, sat, he went to the worship in one church. After the worship was over, got in his car, had time to stop for an egg McMuffin on the way, and went to the preaching in the other church. That's not the way it's meant to be. You will never grow. You only grow when you're planted. In the house, when you're planted, when you're giving, when you're serving, when you're committed, when week after week you're sitting under the word of God, you, under the word of God, that's where you grow, not when you're flitting from church to church to church. I don't care if it's, this is not a joint hope. Anyone who knows me knows that I do repulsion marketing. I try to get people to leave our church, okay? If you're not committed here, please go somewhere else. And get committed there. I don't care. But find a church. And get committed to it. And get planted in it. And don't treat it like a supermarket. Where when the prices are better somewhere else. You just go there. Don't treat it as a show. Where if the entertainment's better down the street. You go there. This is the body of Christ. This is the bride of Christ. This is the family of God. This is not somewhere you come to be entertained for an hour and a half every week. This is the body. The bride. The family that you are part of and Christ wants you to commit yourself to it. Jesus said this when he went into the temple and he overturned it, the tables, because it had become a fart. He said, zeal for your house will consume me. He was consumed. Unfortunately, most people today are consumers. I want you not to be a consumer of the church. Where you just come in and you spectate and you take and you put your money and think that you just, you know, I put my money in, I got my show, I'm going home. But that you're consumed with what consumed Jesus. And Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And every month or so, in the newspapers, 
we read stories like one generation from the church being extinct. Churches closing all over the country, all of that. I want to tell you for 2,000 years they've thought the church was going to die. For 2,000 years they have persecuted the church. They have marginalized the church. They have killed the leaders of the church. They have thought they have done away with the church. In China they thought the Communist Party had replaced the church. Now there's more evangelical Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. Why? Because it's his church. It's his church. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is not our church. It's his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and that's the church that I want to be a part of a church which is a family a church which is a body a church which is a bride passionately in love with the groom and a church which reaches into the community a visible expression of the gospel of Christ bringing love to the lost healing to the broken, and life where there's death, and light where there's darkness. And I hope that's the sort of church you want to be part of. Let's pray together.